You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Caleb Kaltenbach, and I'm a pastor, I'm an author, I'm a friend of uh, uh, Brian Hunt and this church, and I love Brian, I love your church staff, and um, today I want to ask a very, very relevant question, something that was really personified in this monologue that we just asked, and it's a question for all of us, including myself, what do we do when life gets overwhelming? What do we do when life really keeps on hitting us? I don't know if you've ever seen the Rocky movies. Those are some of my favorite. I love the Rocky movies. I love the Creed movies. But when Rocky is in the ring or Adonis Creed is in the ring, they get knocked down. They keep on getting up and up, and they get knocked down, and they get up and up, and they keep on coming after you. I think that's what Ivan Drago said in Rocky IV. He said, Rocky just keeps on coming after me. And I feel like life is like that sometimes. I'm not going to go through all the different examples in 2020 and so far in 2021, but I think we can all agree that last year felt that way, right? And this year has felt that way. I remember when the pandemic and the quarantines first started back in March, you know, after about a week, the introverts were like, finally. (laughs) And then those of us who are extroverts We spent the entire year trying to not to be like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. But at the same time, even those of you who are my introvert brothers and sisters, I mean, there came a point where you're even like, man, I I miss the texts, I miss the calls, I I can't, I even miss this person, never thought I'd say that. I, I need small doses, but I still miss them. It's easy to get overwhelmed in situations like that. It's easy to get overwhelmed when, when in, even, even during non-pandemic times or non-quarantine times before, right? I mean, good night, it's easy, right? If you want to get overwhelmed, here's what I, if you're having a good day and you just need to balance yourself out and you're annoying everybody uh, because nothing bad has happened, go on social media and, and just scroll around on Twitter. It's a Petri dish. You'll be in a bad mood. Um, go to Facebook. Um, that, that's a fantastic way to ruin your day and lose a friendship. So... You can balance life out a little bit there, right? We, 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 that overwhelms us. Other people overwhelms us. Uh, we can get overwhelmed even in the littlest situations. Like, you know, I, I don't like flying. And, and it's not because I'm afraid of dying. I, I'm really not afraid of dying. I figure that if the plane crashes, that's a good way to go. I'm not afraid of that. You know why? Because you will pass out before you hit the ground. With the cabin pressure and everything, you'll lose consciousness. It'll be like taking a nap in a sauna. It'll be okay, all right? That, that's not what freaks me out about airplane. You know what makes me scared about other airplanes? Uh, people, um, not you people, um, other people, the rest of them out there. I mean, seriously, we have a whole new generation of people that will take their socks and shoes off on the airplane and then walk barefoot into a commercial airliner bathroom, which, I mean, they're probably amputees by now, right? I mean, to do that, I, no kidding. Not too long ago, I always sit in the aisle seat. It's a good place to escape, good place to go to the bathroom if you need to. We take off. There's a lady sitting right next to me. Um, Homegirl takes off 
her shoes and socks and starts clipping her toenails right next to me. I don't usually say stuff, but I mean, good night, that's an assault. And I didn't want her shards going everywhere like a wood chipper. And so I just looked at her and said one word. I just said, really? And she said, oh, is this bothering you? I said, yep. Look at that, your toenails on my shoe. Wasn't there a minute ago. She said, well, I guess I could do this like tonight uh, when I get home. And I said, let's go with that plan. I'm a big fan of that plan. As a matter of fact, that's when I cut my toenails. In my room by myself, I've never cut my toenails in front of my wife. Um, because, I mean, good night, that's nasty. I don't want to see other people cutting their toenails, not even my children. Just go do that by yourself. I mean, seriously, we, we have a whole new section of people that will do that. And people get overwhelmed by other people. You and I get overwhelmed by other people. And so today, James wants to talk to us about what we should do when we get overwhelmed. The brother of Jesus wants to talk to us about that. So here's what he says in the first three verses of James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I mean, I mean, you think about that, and he's right. A- am I correct? He's right about that. But you know what we, we're tempted to do when we get overwhelmed? We're tempted to focus on ourselves, and we're tempted to blame everybody else around us whenever anything happens. Even when we're not overwhelmed, we're experts at blaming people. How many of you know you don't need any training in blaming people? I have two children, 14 and 12. I've never had to train them to blame. I've never had to teach them the word mine. You know, like in Finding Nemo, those seagulls, mine, mine, mine. My kids are like that. I know 80-year-old adults that are like that still. Mine, mine, mine. We think it's other people, but it's really us. You're like, I'm not sure about that. Okay, let's read this again, these three verses. See if you notice a pattern. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Anybody else see a pattern there? There's a little Bible study hack if you're ever studying the Bible. When you see a word repeated over and over again in a passage, pay attention to that word. Usually means that the author of that letter or book is trying to tell you something. And I mean, maybe it's just me, but I think that James is trying to tell us something. That it's not them, it's you, it's me, it's I. That I'm the problem when I get overwhelmed. You know why? Because I focus on me when life gets overwhelming. How many of you can relate with that? I focus on me when life gets overwhelming. I mean, seriously, I, I, mean, I, I focus on me a lot, and you focus on you a lot. 
And if you're new to this church, hear me out. I'm not trying to bash you. This is a church I would go to if I attended this church. It's a church where it's okay not to be okay, but it's also a church where we're going to be honest with each other. And most everybody who is alive, almost everybody who is a homo sapien, okay, that means human being, people. Okay, I always assumed that this school system was better than LAUSD, but maybe not. Who knows, okay? But here's the deal. We focus on ourselves when life gets overwhelming. We think about ourselves even when life doesn't get overwhelming. Think about it real quick. When you're by yourself, or even when you're with other people, what do you think about the most? You. You really do, right? You think about you the most. Who do you talk to the most in your life? You. It's true, right? You talk to yourself the most in your head. Hopefully not out loud. Although with AirPods now, nobody will think you're crazy if you do. What is the subject of what you talk to yourself about a lot? You. So consider that. You think about yourself almost all the time, and you talk to yourself the most about yourself. How can we not be prideful in one way or another? You're like, Caleb, I don't do that. Sure you do. Even when you think about other people, you probably think about them more from the perspective of what they think of you or what you think of them than anything else. You are focused on you. And, and really, I mean, think about it. You have your perspective more than anybody else does, right? You understand your perspective more than other people understand your perspective because you live with you all the time. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. Sometimes we have a, 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 you know, we think too highly of ourselves. Sometimes we have a negative mixtape in the back of our head. I, I preached this sermon on Thursday, and, and, and some, like, um, like Gen Z, Gen Zer, like my kids, came up to me, and they're like, what's a mixtape? I'm like, that is your fault. You don't know. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> okay, you need to go to Google. You need to watch Guardians of the Galaxy, one of the two. <laughs> You'll find out what a mixtape is. It's the greatest thing on the face of the earth. Okay, but some of us, we have a negative mixtape in the back of our head that's playing all the time, right? Because even though you talk to you about yourself all the time and you think about you more than anyone else, there is probably nobody that is harder on you than you. Am I right? I, I mean, seriously. Here's, here's, here's how James responds to this, okay? Look at these next couple verses here. You adulterous people. Obviously, they didn't have editors or PR managers in the first century. <laughs> this is really not how you address people in a letter when you're trying to encourage them, right? Because this word, adulterous, that's heavy, right? I mean, literally unfaithful. Why? Because we focus on ourselves, and right here it says, don't you know that friendship with the world it means enmity towards God. And I don't like the way that the new NIV translation translated in enmity because you know what this word literally means in the original language in the Greek? You know what it literally means? It means hatred. The deepest kind of hatred you could have for somebody. You know, when you love somebody very deeply and you're thinking about them all the time, switch that over to the negative and that's what hatred is. Like, I come close to feeling that way about Raiders fans, but not all the way. I'm a Chiefs fan. Okay, listen, I told this to the other two services, and I'm going to tell you. I understand how easy it is to be jealous. 
I really do. I get it. Um, we have an amazing quarterback. Um, and I don't hear cheering right now, but um, you should because he's a Christian, okay? Um, he's going to be in heaven. You guys are going to be in heaven together. Or who knows? Maybe you won't be there. I don't know. But <laughs> I think you need to learn to love him and, and pray for him. Anyway, that was for free. You don't even have to tithe for that, okay? But I read this, and James is saying, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means hatred against God? And I'm like, wait a minute, James just got done chewing us out for talking about ourselves, and we are the cause of, of, of what is going on in our lives, and we need to take responsibility. That's what I get from all those yous that are being repeated, and yet now he switches, and he says, don't you know that friendship with the world means hatred towards God, that when we focus on ourselves, we are siding with the world over and above God, because the world and society unsaved humanity, what we all tell ourselves within our sinful nature is do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, and even then, just do whatever you want. We see that time and time again in our society today, and I'm not going to go through examples, but you see it all around you, and people are like, man, it's getting really bad. It has been really bad. Like, like, like there hasn't been a shift all of a sudden. These ideas have been creeping in society, our society for some time. And guess what? Every society gets that bad, and it gets worse. We shouldn't be surprised. The Bible tells us that societies always trend downhill. James says, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, that's strong language. Or do you think Scripture says without reason... That he, God, jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us. You see, we believe here at this church that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And when he was placed in the ground and he rose, he rose to the newness of life. But our sin and our shame and our hang-ups and our hurts and our habits that are bad and our mistakes all remained in the ground with him. And when we followed him, our slate was wiped clean and he gave us his Holy Spirit to live within us. And he is jealous for our attention. Do you know that, that there is such a thing as godly jealousy? If you're married, if you have kids, you should be jealous of them. Not like creepy jealous. But there is godly jealousy. Like, I, I'm jealous for my wife's attention. I'm jealous for my kids' attention. My wife is jealous for my attention when I'm not annoying her. <laughs> then she's jealous for me to stop talking. Like my son. I, I'm jealous for his attention sometimes. I've asked my wife, why do we have the Xbox? Why? I just, I want to make one of those YouTube videos where I throw it in the pool or take a sledgehammer to it. Um, but then I think, well, you know, he plays this with his friends on there, and then um, we lose another way to discipline him. I lose my advantage if we trash it. I can't do that. Got to have leverage. <laughs> Got to have leverage. My daughter, her phone, it, it, it's, it's, it's an issue. It's... Um, you know, she's 12, he's 14, she's 12 going on 25. Started doing this, dad. I'm like, oh, that's, that's going to help you out real quick. Keep rolling your eyes. She's phone, Rachel. 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 What? what? Don't yell at me. Wish there was a bridge. I would just jump right now. We, you need to be jealous, and God is jealous of you. And he's jealous when we prioritize ourselves over him. 
You see, I focus on me when life gets overwhelming, but that makes me hostile towards God. You see, whether, whether or not you know it, every sin that you and I commit, knowingly and unknowingly, is another attempt to unseat God from the throne of our life and make us the primary keepers of our life and to put ourselves on our throne and make ourselves in command. We long to do that on a regular basis. I'm like, Caleb, I don't long to do that. Yeah, you do. You do, and so do I. How can you and I not be prideful when we are constantly focusing on ourselves? Now, some of you are coming for the first time or you haven't been in church in a while. You're like, whoa, I'm glad I came today. That's great, Caleb, great sermon. At least it's not on money. Gets a little bit better. Look at verse 6. I love verse 6. But he, God, gives us more grace. If you're going to memorize anything that we said today, memorize this. God gives us more grace. When you have messed up with something, when you are feeling alone, when you're feeling isolated, when you're feeling like nobody loves you, or even God has walked away and you're trusting what you feel over what you know, remember this, but he gives us more grace. Quick side note, don't trust how you feel all the time over what you know. One of the worst things about our society today is that our society overemphasizes feelings and reactions and underemphasizes logic. Do you know how many times in my life I have to focus on what I know is true over what I feel is true? I love how the Proverbs 4.23 is translated in the New Century Version. It says, be careful what you think for your thoughts run your life. If I have to choose between what I feel and what I know, I have to choose this side up here more than here because even though I have to listen to here, like I've never made a good, solid, impulsive, emotionally reactive decision. There's never come a time in my life when I've done that. I love how Pastor Andy Stanley says it down in Atlanta. In one of his sermons, he said that emotions make great companions but horrible leaders. He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God is repelled by pride, and God is attracted to humility. One way to keep God away from you, get prideful. If you want God to draw close to you, we're going to talk more about this in a second, humble yourselves. Now, i got to be honest with you. We're, in just a minute, we're going to look at this next verse in just a minute. Um, but I just got to tell you, verse 7, I have an issue with it. I don't like it. Now, some of you are like, you can't say that in church. Well, sure, I'm not lying. I believe that it's true, but I don't necessarily like the beginning of it. See, see what you think about it. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You're like, Caleb, what don't you like? I don't like this first word, Submit. How many of you like this first word? Yeah, there's like one person raised their hand, and that's a lie. Um, <laughs> let me just tell you something. No, you, you don't, okay? Maybe you like it when it's not referring to you, but how other people should treat you, right? I mean, it gets me. There's always like some Christian husbands 
when I've done, you know, marriage counseling. My wife is like a real counselor, marriage family therapist, but I do pastoral counseling from time to time, and, you know, never fails. There's always some husband who's like, well, you know, she just hasn't read Ephesians 5, and I need you to tell her about that, and, you know, that, that you know, she it says that wives should submit to their husbands, you know, so I, I don't understand why she's not. I'm like, well, maybe you should be a husband worth submitting to. Doesn't, doesn't Ephesians 5 say, um, you know, husbands, you should be willing to die for your wives? So you, you're willing to die for your wife, but you're not willing to do the dishes. I mean, okay, ladies, I'm going to give you a little ammo here, okay? Uh, to my bros, I'm sorry, um, but some of you deserve this. Not all of you, but some. Um, so here it is right here. You know how it says, wives, submit to your husbands? When you look at verse 20, Ephesians 5.20, you know what it says? Submit to one another. Good marriage is built on mutual submission. We don't like the word submit. You know what else, what other words I don't like? This is just going to be a little section on what Caleb doesn't like here. Um, I don't like the word obey. Do you like the word obey? Of course not. You and I are Americans. We don't like that, you know? not the biggest fans of monarchies, right? So, obey. What? No. You know what else I don't like? I don't like the word no. I don't like being told no, because I think those people are wrong. Um, you know what? I like telling other people no, especially my kids. I love the, com- the Christian comedian Tim Hawkins, who says that he's invented different ways to tell his kids no. I have too. It annoys my kids. Dad, can I go do this? No. Can I go do this? No. <laughs> hey, Dad, can, can we watch this? What'd you do? I texted you. Check out your text messages. <laughs> See why I texted you. It says no. Yeah. Here's another one. It's a cow holding a picture of the sign no. I know. I think you're getting the picture here, right? Not going to happen. I love that. My kids hate it, but I love it. Like, I don't like submit. I don't like, no. But it's interesting that first we're told, you focus on yourself, things are going to go bad. And then if you focus on yourself, that's like being a friend of the world. And now they're saying, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, wait a minute. Are we friends with the world when we focus on ourselves or are we giving in to the devil? Both. When you go back and you look at Matthew 4 and Luke 4, both accounts of when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, do you know what the devil was trying to get Jesus to do? The devil was trying to get Jesus to give in to his own human desires and put those above God's desires. He's trying to get him to say, me first, not God. And yet James says, that you should submit, because when you don't submit and when you focus on yourself, you are acting more like Satan than a child of God. And that's rough, but it's true. And so what does James want us to know about when our life gets overwhelming, when things around us are going berserk? What does James want us to understand? He wants us to understand that true freedom is found in total surrender. Let me say this again. True freedom is found in total surrender. There's another word I don't like, surrender. I don't like that word. I just don't. But it's a necessary word in my life. True freedom is found in total surrender. As a matter of fact, let's all say it together. That'll be fun. All right? Submit. Let's say it together. Um, True freedom is found in total Okay, not everybody surrendered to say that. So we're going to do it again until we get it right. 
Okay, Thursday night, I had to do it three times. Don't be like them. <laughs> True freedom is found in total surrender. There you go. You're like, no, not three times. True freedom is found in total surrender. Now, we think, again, of surrender as a bad thing, especially in the midst of this series that we're doing called The Frontlines. Because we volunteer to be in God's army. We volunteer to be on his mission, to be on the front lines. And when we think about that, the last thing we think about doing is surrendering. But here's the deal. You're a slave to someone. You're either a slave to yourself or to God. And you are not a good taskmaster. You are either surrendered to other people or to a habit. Or to whatever you're prioritizing in your life as your main identity instead of God. But when you surrender to God doesn't mean your life will get easier. It means you will never be alone. It means that even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of chaos, that you can have peace. And that you know that your circumstances are only temporary. That you have a faith that extends beyond your temporary circumstances in this world. You see, your freedom is found in total surrender, not focusing on yourself. So, question is, how do we surrender? How do we get good at surrendering? What does that look like? Well, James tells us the first way in the first couple of verses here, James 4, 8 through 10. Here's what he says. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to doom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That, that sentence there is so huge to me. Humble yourselves paints this picture of us being on the ground in complete surrender, saying, I am nothing compared to you. And yet when we humble ourselves, that's when God lifts us up. You see, that, that's why Paul said in, Romans, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, when he was talking to God about this pain, this thorn in his flesh, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You are at your strongest when you're at your weakest because then God can work through you like nothing else. You see, surrender your ego. Be more devoted to God than yourself. That's the first way that you surrender. Choose to be in every scenario, in every situation. Choose to be more devoted to God than yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. When people are mad at you, when you are mad, when you just want to fly off the handle, be more devoted to God than yourself. When you see the, your world crumbling around you and things happen again and again and again, and you're tempted to do this, to give in to the gravitational inward spiral pull inside of your heart where you just focus on yourself. No, James says, be more devoted to him than yourself. And that's not easy. But it's something we have to do every day, every hour, every second. Here's the second thing that he tells us to do in the next couple of verses. He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. If anyone who speaks against their brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it, when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you are sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. And I love this question. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? James was Jesus' brother, and he probably heard um, Jesus say this probably more than once. When Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul actually wrote in Romans 13, 8 through 10, that loving your neighbor is fulfilling the whole law. 
And there are some people who have asked me, well, why doesn't, why doesn't Paul say that loving God with everything you are and loving your neighbor is fulfilling the whole law? How do you think you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? You love God with everything you are by loving your neighbor as yourself. You see, the second way that, that you and I surrender is by surrendering your pain. Treat people better than your opinion of them. Nobody deserves to be lowered down to your opinion of them. And many times, we have bad opinions of people because, yes, they could have really hurt us. Yes, we could be victims. I'm not saying that. But hear me out on this. Most of the times in our life, especially as, as 2020 and 2021 has shown us and revealed over and over again that many of us, we, we think lowly of people because of the pain we have received from others, not what those people have done to us. And we lump them in with everybody else. Nobody deserves to be treated like that, like your opinion of them, like my opinion. Everyone is someone that God created and Jesus died for. I mean, I mean that's the truth, right? Because, again, part of this is abandoning what I think and giving in to God and accepting responsibility myself instead of trying to transpose and transfer what I feel onto other people. Like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a couple confessions here. Maybe you can relate. Okay, you ready for this? Here's the first one. Nobody has ever bought into my opinions like I have. I mean, it's true. Like, there's no bigger supporter of my opinions than me. And I'm willing to bet that's the same with you. Like, right? Nobody really strongly believes what you believe like you. Like, even if you're a nice, kind, empathetic, compassionate person, you're listening to somebody's political views, religious views, maybe their views on how management should be done, their views on something, and you have a contrary view, and you're trying to be nice, you're like, oh, like this, yeah, yeah. On the outside, you're like, well, yeah. And on the inside, you're like, you're a moron. You have no idea what you're talking about because uh, you, don't, you don't know my idea because I'm thinking about it the right way. Here's confession number two. This might surprise you as well, but it's the truth. Ready? I have been present for every bad decision that I've ever made. <laughs> trying to get my 14-year-old and 12-year-old to understand that and own that. Because again, I know 70-year-olds that are not able to say that sentence. Like, I, 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 have, I have signed off on every decision that I've ever made that has been bad. I've been a part of that. Like, Caleb, they, they tricked me into it. <laughs> it's an accident. Sometimes people do influence us, right? But at the end of the day, where does the buck stop? Right here. Me treating people badly some of the times is trying to take the spotlight off me instead of feeling appropriate responsibility for what I need to own. You see, I look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, and I think there's a reason why Jesus said, whenever you pray, as you pray daily, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You see, I think repentance should be a spiritual discipline that we practice every day of our lives. Like, I really, really do. Because here's what I've found. When I, when I become a better forgiver, or when I become a better repenter, I become a better forgiver. When I repent on a regular basis, I am more apt to forgive. When I repent on consistently daily before God or on a regular basis, I find that I have more capacity to be gracious towards people that I normally wouldn't be gracious towards. 
Because repenting on a regular basis is not about beating yourself up. It's about owning and being responsible before God and inviting him to continue to change your life. It's about consistent surrender. Here's, close out the chapter. Here's, here's the third way right here that we should surrender. James says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And I love that, don't you? If it is the Lord's will. As it is, you boast about living your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So now our, our schedule, it's good to have a schedule. My wife and I, we try to schedule every week. You gotta have a schedule. We try to talk about our schedules and communicate about our schedules, but at the end of the day, some of the times, that can be another way for controlling. Third way that we surrender is surrendering your control. Surrendering your control, quit bargaining and wrestling with God. Quit bargaining and wrestling with God. In the Old Testament, you saw Jacob always trying to bargain, always trying to get his way in the book of Genesis. You know who did that in in the New Testament? Judas. Always scheming, always trying to set everything up the way that he wanted to. And, And we did the same thing. You and I do the same thing on a regular basis. You're like, no, we don't. Yes, we do. We bargain and we negotiate, we try to bargain, we try to negotiate, we try to trade, we try to deal with God all the time, and he doesn't like it. If you have ever prayed or thought this, here's how you know that you're doing it. You pray or think something like this, God, if you will fill in the blank, then I will fill in the blank. Ever done that? God, if you will help her to love me, I will read the Bible every day. God's like, why aren't you doing that right now? God, if you help me to get this job, I will be in church every weekend, except when I'm not there, um, or my internet doesn't work. And, you know, when I'm playing golf, I can watch it later on that week, if I have time. Um, and, and God, you just need to chill, okay, because I've got things to do, okay? I've got swag to get. And I think to myself, we do this all the time. But I consistently have to remember And when I surrender, I've surrendered to be on God's page. God doesn't deal. He doesn't trade. He doesn't bargain. He doesn't negotiate. It is his way or no way. I don't get him on my page. I get on his page. I love what Charles Spurgeon says, that if your will is God's will, if you desire God's will, you will always have your will no matter what happens you see, what James is trying to get us to understand is that we need to be people who, are, who prioritize God and we surrender to God on a regular basis so that we don't surrender to ourselves, to the world, and we don't give in to the devil's temptations. Because this world is a temporary stopover. It is a layover. This world is slightly better than LAX. But this is not our home. I love what the apologist and author and professor C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Yes, you were, my friends. Whether you follow Jesus now or not, you were made for another world. And the only way that we can prepare ourselves for that is through surrender. True freedom is found in total surrender. 
You know, I'm going to close with this. Six weeks ago, my, my, um, my wife's dad, who was in his early 60s, uh, died suddenly um, during surgery. It was unexpected. He was having surgery. It was a big surgery, but the surgeons felt positive about it. Um, nobody expected it to happen, but in the last hour of his surgery, he just slipped away. And my wife was down there with her sister and her mom, and they were obviously devastated. And Amy calls me on the phone. And uh, I'm home with my son, Joel, who's 14, my daughter, Rachel, who's 12. And we'd been waiting all day to see how Papa was doing, Papa Larry. And my wife called me to give me an update, and I went outside, expecting to hear something different. She said, um, Caleb, he, he died. And my heart just sank. And um, one of the hardest things that I ever had to do was to walk into that living room and tell my son and my daughter that their grandpa had died. When I was outside, I was an idiot because I, I prepared things to say. I thought maybe I can say this, maybe I can say that. When I told them, they just started crying, and I realized there's nothing you can say. I just sat on the floor, took one of them in each arms, and I just cried with them. What do you say? What do you say in that extreme moment? My son, and he cried so hard. Like, I've never heard him cry like that. He and his grandpa were so close. i got to be honest, there's part of me that was not happy with God. It's like, I've got a list of people you could have taken, but I don't understand this. I'll tell you something I am thankful for. The night before, we, we called him, and we were on speakerphone with Larry, and uh, my wife and Rachel and Joel and I, and near the end of the conversation, Joel asked him this question that was kind of out of the blue, and I was like, that's interesting, but Joel asked him, Papa, what happens if you don't make it? And I'm so thankful for what Larry said, because it has stayed with my kids ever since, especially after I told them. He said this, his last words to them. Well, Joel, I don't think that's going to happen, but if it does happen, I want you to know that I know where I'm going, and I know who I'm going to be with. And if that happens... Here's what I want you and your sister to do for the rest of your lives. Stay as close to Jesus as you can for the rest of your lives. And in that moment when I had to tell my kids instead of coming up with clever sayings or whatever, they're the ones who actually remembered what Papa said. He said, stay as close to Jesus for the rest of your lives. And I'm so grateful that he said that to my kids. True freedom is found in total surrender. And I'm going to pray in, in just a moment. And after I pray, we're going to have a, just a time of pause and reflection. But at this church, we take communion every week because we believe that communion is symbolic. The juice representing Jesus's body or blood that was shed for us and his the bread representing his body was given to us and that that this reminds us on a regular basis that he died for our sins and so here's i want you to take communion yet here's what i want you to do i'm going to pray and give us i'm going to walk off stage give us a few moments and i want you to take communion during that time i mean obviously you can if you want to i'm not going to physically force you not to but 
when I come back out, I want us to take communion together. And during this time, I want you to focus on maybe areas in your life that you need to surrender because all of us need to take our next step towards Jesus somehow. And there are some of us that we have never followed Jesus before. And if that's you and you still want to take communion with us, please just use this time to reflect on maybe the sermon, maybe questions you have about Jesus, but use this time to think about him, what he's doing in your life, and maybe what you need to surrender. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. I pray your blessing on this time as we prepare to take communion. Father, may your presence be felt here. May we, Father, be able to own what we need to own, to take responsibility for things in our life instead of pawning them off on others. May we surrender our ego, our pain, and our control back to you because you are sovereign. You are the one who is unconditionally loving. You have all the power that we could ever imagine. And you are exceedingly gracious, far more than any of us ever knows. I pray, Father, that you would help us prepare our hearts. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Take this time. Don't take communion. Just please be silent and have a few seconds between you and God. And I'll be right back. take out your communion cup here. I want you to peel off the first layer, very thin, clear piece of plastic. And take this, take this cracker and remember that God gave Jesus to you for us, sorry, for us so that we could be with him forever. Take this next layer and peel it back carefully because grape juice still stains in church. And as you drink this, I want you to, I want you to remember that God forgives your sins. When you confess to him, it is forgiven. Paul writes in Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His blood was shed for your sins. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he surrendered on the cross to you so that we may be with you forever. Father, help us to surrender in this world so that we can make your name great. We can spread your fame. We can make you famous above all else. Forgive us our sins, Father. Help us not to sit in the disgusting shallow waters of shame, but help us to look to you and to rise above it and to understand that you are exceedingly forgiving and gracious and loving and merciful. Help us to surrender on a regular basis because then we will experience true freedom. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. 
next week, Pastor Brian is going to be back to close out our series, Front Lines. And um, you want to be here to hear him. If this is your first time, i got to warn you, he's not the eye candy that you've been treated to today. But he is an amazing preacher, an amazing guy, fantastic haircut. Hope you guys have a good week of surrendering. God bless you. Take it easy and stay in the air conditioning. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.